I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson. I'm glad to have you here watching or listening wherever you are at. We're going to talk about something that uh, is very difficult uh, for people, and that is trauma, uh, especially childhood trauma. Uh, and it's, it's something that a lot of people carry with them their whole lives. Uh, and, and it will never entirely go away, um, but you can have a life after trauma. You can have a good life after trauma. In fact, today's guest, John Heyman, has had a wonderful life after some very, very difficult trauma. I mean, and sometimes when we look at these extreme cases, we do that because it it gives hopefully everyone hope that, yes, I I can go on, I can succeed. And John has, he's been a pastor, he's been a counselor, been CEO of large organizations. Today he's an author, a speaker, a consultant. Uh, and he's got a beautiful family, but it didn't start that way. And so we want to encourage you uh, with someone else's testimony and tell you how he got to the place that he's at today. He does tell that in a new book that is out right now. It is called Agonizing Peace. And, you know, the dissonance in those words, we don't, we don't put agony and, and peace in the same sentence so we'll have to find out what that's about john welcome to life today live great to have you today thank you randy it's my honor so take us back uh and and i know it's not easy and it hasn't been easy writing the book and going back to some of the places where you suffered trauma hasn't been easy for you but you have done it and we appreciate it Uh, but but tell the audience uh, those who are not familiar with you kind of where you started Mm, thank you, Randy. I'll tell you, it would have been a lot easier to write a children's book. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But months ago, months ago, close to a year ago, my wife uh, looked at me in our living room and said, you need to tell your story because I was reminiscing back to my early days, talking about my adoptive mom and dad who loved me and obviously adopted me. And I'll tell that story in a second. But she said, John, you really need to get this down because there are other people that have gone through similar experiences or a traumatic experience that may not be similar, but it would still be considered traumatic. Mm -hmm. And so my beginning started in Athens, Greece. I don't know who my parents are. Mm -hmm. Never met them. I don't even know their name. All I know is that somebody dumped me off, and I use the word dump because that's what they did in Athens, Greece, post-World War II, in two different asylums that I'm aware of. And the one I'm, I'm associated with as a little kid was called the Athens Municipal infants asylum the building is still there still looks like it did when i was a little kid my wife and i was over there we're over there a number of years ago and my gosh it brought back so many terrible memories when i walked into the building they let just my wife and i in no one else was allowed in which was really a god thing but anyhow that's where i was dumped off in a bread box a bread box looks like a mail slot that some people have in their front doors where the mail person will put the mail in. Well, these bread boxes are bigger. You can fit gallons of milk in there. You can fit bread in there. And a lot of relief organizations did that. And uh, they would dump, not the relief organizations, people would dump babies in that bread box, babies that perhaps they couldn't take care of. I don't know 
why I was dumped there. I don't know who dumped me there. I'm not sure if it was my mother, my father. I'm not sure if it was a political person who was embarrassed about a baby. Nobody knows. Mm. All I know is that I have never met and do not know anything about my real parents. Mm. Now, Ancestry.com says I'm 100% Greek. <laughs> so maybe I came from Plato or Aristotle. That would be fun <laughs> to know. But I don't know who my real parents are. And some people who are adopted, they seek out their real parents, which yep, is pretty I, cool. I, I, but I didn't. I didn't have any urge to do that. Yeah, I did. That's how I began, <laughs> Randy. Uh, well, and, that, and that's not all, though. That's the beginning. But that's that's talk to us. Tell us what happened, because it wasn't like you were dropped off at an orphanage and they took care of you and found you wonderful mm. parents. That wasn't it at all. Nope. No, not at all, Randy. I'll tell you, um, my earliest memories, because most children's memories are based on knee high memories, their own real memories, stories that have been told about them and pictures. Well, I don't have stories in Greece and I don't have pictures except we did find one which I might refer to a little later on but I do have my memories and my memories were apparently I was either sold rented enslaved I don't know the word I don't know what the word would be because certainly I didn't see the exchange of money mm. when they put me in a house right at the foothill of the Acropolis uh, and this was in the late 1950s uh, which I guess I just uh, gave away my age, but <laughs> yeah. that's, I know most of the people watching think I'm 35. Um, anyhow, uh, I'm a good liar. Um, it, it, but my memories are this. Uh, we had to go as little children up onto the Parthenon. For those of you who are watching and listening, you know the Parthenon is that famous building on top of the Acropolis in Athens, Greece, in mm. the center of Greece. Mm -hmm. And it was the place that Hitler took over in World War II. He hung the Nazi flag, but he did not destroy the building. Many people think when they see the rubble that Hitler did that. That's not, that's not accurate. Mm. And uh, oddly enough, he did not. Nobody knows why, because in other countries, he did destroy yeah. uh, some of their famous buildings. But he never destroyed the Parthenon. So following the end of World War II in 1945, obviously I was born after that. But we used to have to go up there to that famous, beautiful building and uh, beg from tourists. So you know who a tourist is because you simply jabber away to them, <laughs> yeah. them in Greek. And if they can't understand you, you know they're a tourist. So you either beg from them, much like the movie Slumdog Millionaire, Randy, which I couldn't watch for two years. Mm. I couldn't watch that movie. It hit home so hard to me about what they did to children to make them look poor, to make them look injured, to make them look disabled so that they could raise money. Mm -hmm. Well, I was very blessed. Apparently, I could raise money back then as a child because I still have all my fingers, all my toes. Nobody broke my knees to make me look like I, w I was hobbling. And so we had to steal from the, um, the tourists up on the Parthenon. And if we didn't bring back enough money in that little house that I recall clearly in my memory, we got beat. When I say we, me. I got beat up, hmm. beat up badly. Hmm. I believe I got beat up all the time for no reason at all, because those are my memories. And the odd thing about it, Randy, is I remember that house. I remember the crib inside the kitchen where I slept as a five-year-old, a crib hmm. for a five-year-old in a kitchen. I don't remember a bathroom. Maybe the house didn't have one. But I do remember the outside of that house, too, because I had gotten thrown out the window a number of times. Nice. Um, and the odd thing about it is after I got adopted, my aunt, Aunt Millie, we uh, went through her possessions, my Aunt Millie here in, the, in America, mm -hmm. 
um, we went through her possessions, my wife and I did, and we found pictures. And lo and behold, and I have that picture. It's not in this book because we found it right after the book was published. <laughs> but we found the picture of me standing in front of that house. Oh, wow. And Randy, it looks exactly like I remember it. It sends chills even as I'm telling it to you because no child should be treated that way. No child should be treated that way. In my book, I talk about people that make their business plan based on trafficking in children and trafficking mm -hmm. in women and trafficking in money mm -hmm. and trafficking in fear. Because if you can make people scared, they will do anything for you that they can. And um, my book talks about that. And it says, you treat children like this. And Jesus said this, there will be, there will be a special place in hell for you. Mm -hmm. And there will be a special place in heaven for the children that were mistreated. Mm -hmm. He said that too. Yeah. He didn't say it quite the way I do, because <laughs> my, my feelings are very raw at times when I think back of how I was treated as a little child. But that was a traumatic experience, Randy, and a lot of people have been through. I don't try to brag about my trauma. I try to bring people back to the peace of God through my trauma. And Randy, if you don't mind me, because you said at the beginning, rightfully so, it's an oxymoron between those two words, mm -hmm. agonizing peace. In Luke twenty two forty two, which is where I get my title from, Jesus was agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the ultimate theological question must be asked, was Jesus, during that traumatic experience of sweating drops of blood, you know, hematidrosis, they call it, where the capillaries burst under your skin, and very, very rarely historically can you find anybody that's experienced that. That's, what Je that's the agony Jesus was going through. Was he at peace? And the answer is yes, of course he was. He even said, Father, if it be your will, pass this cup from me. I don't want to go through this. His humanity came out. And then he said, which I think is the, one of the coolest verses in the Bible, but not my will, but yours be done. Mm -hmm. Agonizing, peace, mm. in the midst of trauma, we surrender to God's will, even when we don't understand it. There was an atheist that called in on another show, if you don't mind me sharing this, and said, you know, I don't believe in God. What good is all this talk about peace? And I said, well, first of all, you know that my book uh, talks about God. Apparently he bought it because he did say that. <laughs> and I said, have you been through a traumatic experience? And he went through a litany, a long list of mm -hmm. things. And I said, tell me in every single one of those things that happened to you, you didn't think about God? Mm -hmm. Of course you did. Everybody does, even if they don't believe in him. They think about God, and they either get more angry at the God they deny, they deny him even more, the God they deny, or they fall at the foot of the cross, one or the other. Mm -hmm. Paul once told us in the, uh, in the New Testament, we see through a glass darkly. So, Randy, I am here to tell any listener, you sometimes will not get all of the answers to, to life's traumas, but settle in your heart that having some of the answers is better than having none of the answers. None of the answers. And yeah. that's what the atheist offers us, no answers at all. Well, and, you know, the thing that God does offer us is, is not necessarily answers for what we have been through or are going through, but his presence. Mm. Um, that's right. 
and and so so we've heard the beginning we've heard the end <laughs> there's there's a lot in the middle here yeah. um and that's i think that's some of that's the process that people need to hear because yeah. you didn't just wake up and know this one day how did how did you get out of greece first of all there was a wonderful Greek organization in existence. It still exists today. It's called AMG International. Back then, AMG stood for American Mission to the Greeks. Mm. And a famous Greek scholar called Spiros Odiades led that organization. And they sent food over to those bread boxes that I talked about wow. earlier. And so that's how we got fed. Well, my mom, Lois Heyman, hence my American name, John Heyman, mm -hmm. my Greek name is Pondalaman. Kudinos. It's a very famous name in Greece, even though I don't know who my family is. Um, but my mom, Lois Heyman, said to Spiros Odiades one day, aren't we just perpetuating the inevitable? Aren't these children eventually going to die? And he said, well, what do you propose? And she said that we adopt them. And he looked at her and he says, you'll be the first. And she was. Oh, wow. And I'm the first of many, 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 many. And on the airplane that day was a basket. I held it on the, uh, on the airplane. And in that little basket was a baby, a baby girl who would become my adoptive sister. Wow. She has no memories of Greece because she was a baby. Sure. But I will tell you, Randy, when I got off the plane that day to the most loving family that any kid could have, you have to understand that I had never been treated right by adults before. Every time an adult touched me, they hurt me. Mm. And so I did not let the Haymans hug me. I didn't let them give me presents. I threw the presents, a metal truck, a basketball, right back at the adults that greeted me in LaGuardia Airport that many years ago. Wow. I didn't want any presents, and I didn't want anybody to touch me. It took me two full years before I would let Lois Hayman, my mom, uh, hug me in Teaneck, New Jersey, the kitchen of Teaneck, New Jersey. Sorry to get a little teary with this, but... They were the most loving family I could have ever wished for. And I put my hands stiff at my side because I was not going to hug her back. But I did finally let her hug me. For the first time in my life, I realized not all adults hurt children. Mm. And then trust is earned. Trust is demonstrated. She had already done that for two years. And now came the real trust and love. And Randy, there's some people listening to me right now who have a blood family, the family you were born into, and a love family, and they're the same. Mm -hmm. and, and that is so cool to know. <laughs> I mean, I know that you were adopted, Randy, yeah. yep. but some people have a blood family, the family they were born into, which like me, sometimes you don't even know who they are, and then eventually you discover a love family, but it's not the same. Yeah. But wow, God is so good that I got one of the best love families I could ever want Somebody had asked me at a conference I was speaking at, John, do you, um, did you think about God back when you were a child? <laughs> I looked at them and I said, you mean like the concept of a heavenly father, mm. a man who would throw you out a window, yeah. beat you up almost every night? Yeah. I think the answer is no. And if anybody had mentioned the word God as a heavenly father to me, I would not want to be part of him. Okay. But I begin my. Well, I, yeah, my, that, that's exactly where I want to go. My, you know, my dad had the same thing. He had a traumatic childhood. Mm. He had an alcoholic, abusive father. Um, and so discovering God as a good father, Amen. It's hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I'm curious about you because, yeah, you you were brought to a loving Christian family, but that doesn't automatically mean that you will 
open yourself up to, you know, a loving heavenly father that you can't see, you know, um, how, what was that process like? How long did that take? Mm -hmm. Well, I was nine years old before I accepted Christ as savior in our church in uh, New Jersey. And, um, but I didn't always live for, for the Lord. Mm. Uh, during my late teen years, I really went wild. Mm. And um, I don't usually tell the story. In fact, in my book, I talk about us, all of us, who when we refer to our past, we sometimes smile and laugh and say, oh, do you remember the days? And in the psychological world, which is one of my master's degrees, we call that euphoric recall. It's like describing to a cocaine addict what it's like to be on crack. And they actually, the brain actually clicks into the experience and they get high even without the drug. Hmm. We sometimes do that, even as Christians. Oh, do you remember the days we used to get so drunk and Jesus saved us? Well, that's not really what we should be doing. Now, why do I say all that? Because I'm not going to go into details of how I lived. I do a little bit in my book, but not a lot. But my parents were loving. They were very consistent in their Christian witness to me. But I did not respond to it. So while I did eventually have an earthly father that represented the heavenly father. A lot of kids that are adopted don't have that. Yeah. And so my encouragement to you, if you're listening or watching this right now, is there is somebody out there that will fill that void for you on the earth, as well as our heavenly father, who will fill that void for you as well. God promises that. Jesus promised that through his Holy Spirit, is that God-shaped vacuum inside of us would be filled with God. Mm. So if you're doubly blessed to not just have the heavenly father, but also an earthly father that loves you, man, you, you are doubly blessed, which is pretty <laughs> cool. And you should live in thankfulness, which I did not do in my late teens. And it was my youth pastor that confronted me, called me in his office. And he said to me, John told me what he, he knew I was doing. And it was bad. Mm. Um, and he said, finally, I should have been arrested. It's that bad, that kind of stuff. <laughs> it wasn't just smoking marijuana. Yeah. So uh, I said to him, I said, Bruce, what, what are you going to do? And he told me, he says, you don't come clean to your parents. I'm going to tell them. Well, he didn't know I had already come clean to my parents just the day before, but he wanted to talk to me. I think they were talking to each other <laughs> anyhow. And he said to me, he says, you're that horse. You're that horse. And I looked at him and said, he going to call me something worse than just a horse. <laughs> he said, I said, what horse? And he said, you are that horse I have poured myself into. And he did. Uh, I was his special mission field. And uh, Bruce Valvik, he was killed by a, a drunk driver. I never got to thank him. Mm. Anyhow, um, uh, he said to me, he said, you're the horse. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I followed that up years later. I wish I was able to tell him, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can feed him salt. <laughs> and make him thirsty. Salt creates a thirst. <laughs> you caught that, huh, Randy? Yeah. Thank you very much. Bruce was the salt of the earth mm. in my life. And we are all called to be the salt of the earth in somebody's life. Wow. So now, you know, you you, you put it into a book. You, you've been a counselor, a pastor, so you, you had to deal with this. You talk about, you know, powering wow. through trauma, which most people want to shut it out, leave it behind. Uh, and that doesn't always work. I don't know. This is your expertise area. I, I, how does someone get through trauma, especially childhood trauma like that? Because I mean, even with my dad and he'll say well, this publicly, there are some yeah. things that still come back. 
you know, and that's mm-hmm. 70, you know, 65, 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. How do you get through it? Our memories decay if they're not awesome or awful. The memories that we have from childhood were either awesome mm. or awful, one or the other, mm. trauma or forgiveness, trust, and love, one or the other. And we will remember those things for the rest of our lives. I, I, have, I, I feel, Randy, that when God especially blesses you with gifts that have nothing to do with you, then you have been graced, you have been gifted. Mm -hmm. And there's many people listening that understand the concept of having gifts at birthday or Christmas. And one of the stupidest things we could do is look at that gift underneath the tree or the one that's placed in front of us at a birthday party and not open it. Mm. A gift was given and we Mm. don't open it. Mm. It's pretty, when you think about it, kind of stupid. But (laughs) A lot of people have done that. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, all of us are whosoever's, whosoever believes in him, it's that simple, that simple. And I did accept him as savior at nine years old. And I'm glad that Bruce Volvic uh, confronted me because I did straighten my life out, went to Bible college after that. I committed to do that for one year and that's all I wanted to do. Ended up staying there for four. A couple of wonderful professors just captured my brain through the power of apologetics. And I'm sure your audience, many know what apologetics is. When I started to study really the concept of God and who Jesus really was through some of the great saints of the faith, and I'm referring sometimes even to someone like C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity. Uh, my book doesn't go into apologetics. In fact, it refers people to uh, great apologists. Mm-hmm. But my brain was set on fire, and I have never lost my new believer fever, if I can put it that way. (laughs) And I've been blessed in all my work as a pastor, you mentioned that, as a counselor, as a writer now of my very first book. In between, I did work with kids in the roughest areas of the cities that I worked in, from Patterson, New Jersey, to um, the north side of Jacksonville, Florida. Everywhere I've gone, I said, I'm going where the challenge is the greatest we work we do tough work with tough kids in tough neighborhoods and if we can give them hope through jesus oh my gosh then all of us have hope through jesus i've had a great career yes you have and continue to so that person that person who wants that peace they're like okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go with this for a second this guy's been through some horrible things he's been with lots of people young people who have been through some really traumatic events and he says i can i can get peace what do they have to do is there a way they can earn it no you can't earn it uh peace for people listening you have heard this a million times from the pulpit love is not a feeling it's a choice Mm. so when we think about peace think the same same thing peace is not a feeling it's a choice now there are times that you will feel love and there are times that you will feel peace but if you believe that peace is simply taking that deep breath and a sigh of relief and go ah i'm at peace with this decision (laughs) or then you probably actually are not in peace you probably have just taken the least common denominator the easiest road that's not always what god has called us to do in this world expect trouble jesus said well he didn't say cause it 
but he did say expect it. So the, the examples I give in my book are not just me. This is not a memoir. Uh, there's examples of a 10-month-old baby in my ministry that passed away. Mm. What happened to the husband and wife? The wife took off, started to live very wild again, and, and the husband uh, stayed true to the faith. Now, usually it's the reverse, mm -hmm. but in this case, that was not the case. Nine-year-old boy uh, died on the operating table. Parents are still solid Christians today. Uh, five teenagers, I give the account of what happened in my church. Five teenagers were killed in a car accident, in the same exact car accident. It was their fault. How do you comfort the parents? Mm. What do you say? Hey, the peace of God will keep you. Yeah. You know, the peace that passes understanding. There really are no great words. And so I tell people, when a traumatic experience happens, especially if it involves depression, anxiety, and, and perhaps even uh, suicidal ideations, uh, these are the advice I give. Number one, be there for those people. Mm. Be there for them. Tell them you love them. Give them a hug. But your job description is two words. Be there. Do not avoid them. Do not just put on Facebook, sorry for your loss. Go over to their house and give them a hug yeah. and tell them you love them. Secondly, do not say you know exactly how they feel because you probably don't. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge mistake. And this is why many people are driven away from the church. That's what I wrote my book for. Not for those who are having abundant health, wealth, and wisdom, mm. but for those who have gone through a traumatic experience and quite frankly have been turned off by the church. Secondly, first be there. Secondly, don't tell people that you know how they feel. And third, this is a tough one, everybody. Get, get, tighten your belts for this one. Expect the worst. And prepare for the best because suicide in Christian families does happen. Tony Dungy, the famous football coach, yeah. it does happen. And I witnessed two of them, a father and a son, one year apart. It was awful and horrendous. And you would think that perhaps this is a case of depression and they didn't have money. And this was a very wealthy family. Mm. Really sad story. And so if you're going through that right now, how, what do you do when I say surrender to God, which I talk about in my book, and I illustrate it about wartime surrender. And I say that when the Japanese surrendered to the United States in 1945 on September 2nd on the battleship, the USS Missouri, they lost. We won. They lost dominion. They could have lost property, but the United States has never occupied a country it has defeated. Tell me another country that's ever done that. Anyhow, I won't get too patriotic here, but I am patriotic. I'm an American without a hyphen. The Japanese lost. And when they lost, they surrendered to the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, when we surrender to God, ready for this? Going to put a smile on your face. When we surrender to God, we do not lose anything. We gain. God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, but he's given us, given us, given us. Wait a minute, I thought we lose when we surrender. No, with God we gain. Yeah. He's given us power, which is a stick of dynamite. That's actually where the uh, word came from, dunamos, dynamite. Yeah. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. So Randy asked me, what can people do to gain peace? Surrender to God. Surrender yeah. to God like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane when in the traumatic experience, powering through a traumatic experience, in it, you say to the Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. 
And Lord God, even if I don't understand it at the time, Johnny Erickson Tata, everybody knows that name. She's famous for drawing with her mouth, uh, Hallmark cards. She dove in a pool. I believe she was 19 years old. She has every uh, ounce of credibility when she makes this statement. God, uh, she's a quadriplegic today, yeah. by the way. God allows, not decrees, not demands, he allows what he hates to bring about what he loves. Mm -hmm. Wow. She has every right to say it. Yeah. We all do, really, when you think about it. He does allow what he hates because he's going to bring about what he loves in every single person's life. And that's certainly my testimony and the testimony of many of the people I talk about in my book. Do, do you find that some people have a hard time surrendering uh, because of, of a traumatic experience, the fear, the pain, um, even though that's the, that's the key. Do, I mean, do, do you find that people hold on to those, those worst experiences um, tightly? Yeah. I, I think we have a juxtaposition in our minds and in our souls sometimes, even as Christians and, and there, you know, we are amazed sometimes at the power of the human body to heal itself. You know, mm -hmm. doctors don't heal us. The body heals itself. Then they medicate it to reduce the pain, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So you all know that. Everybody watching knows the magic of the human body, the beauty of the universe, the design of this earth. And design requires a designer. But often we will say, I recognize you, God, as the ultimate creator. I recognize you as being an amazing designer of my body and of this earth. But I'll take it from here. I mean, we humans have done a lot. Look at our cell phones. <laughs> We've created a lot. Not out of nothing like God did. We created a lot. We start getting real haughty. And all of a sudden, a traumatic experience happens. And we got this, God. We can do it mm. by ourselves. Mm. And I'm here to say that there are, there are moments in our life where surrendering to God is the very, very best medicine you can take. For many people who have talked to me as a result of this book, and it's been a lot, they've said, initially, I would say that, that I didn't need to surrender to God. But then I looked at my pill box, and I realized how many pills I was taking mm. that I didn't really have to take for anxiety, for sleep, and for other ailments. And when I surrendered to God, even though I didn't have all the answers, I didn't have any need. I slept well at night, hmm. even though I was going through a traumatic experience. I mean, people who have lost children, honestly, anybody watching this, and I don't care if your baby was a 10-month-old baby or a 21-year-old boy. Both of those were personal experiences in my life. It doesn't matter when it happens. When you lose a family member to suicide or to war, or your husband or wife runs out on you hmm. for somebody half your age, Whatever the traumatic experience can be, whether you've been in a car accident, had tremendous injury and a lot of hospitalizations. No, I'm not here to tell you that the, that the lopsided aspect of peace, where I will get health, wealth, and wisdom, the lopsided concept of peace will be yours. God never promised that. I wish he would. I honestly do. If there's a, those of you out there who are my age and have never been through a traumatic experience, you need to write a book because I'd like to learn from you how you avoided it. But people who have lived long enough, either someone in their family or then 
they themselves have had an, a, a traumatic experience and you know what it's like to live through it. And it has not been pleasant. And there is one of two reactions that you will have. Number one, you either deny the God you already says doesn't exist, or as a Christian, you might even deny the God you say does exist. The second reaction is also same for both the atheist and the Christian. The second is the atheist might fall at the foot of the cross and say, I need a savior. I need a God that loves me, even though I don't understand what I'm going through. And for a Christian, same thing. There may be that reaction that we fall back at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I need to really surrender my life to you. I don't understand what's going on in my life, but I've decided in my life, and this is something I talk about in the book, I've decided in my life to have some of the answers rather than all of the answers. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, you talk about if, if someone has suffered trauma, don't just leave them a message on Facebook or mm. write them a mm. nice note if you if you can. Be there. And, and that, I really think, is the ultimate promise of God because you're right we are not after you became a christian and surrendered your life to god and, and went through seminary and or pastoring you you still had difficult things happen we all do that's not the promise the promise is that we will have the peace the phrase the peace that passes understanding means you got peace when it really doesn't make sense because it's chaotic mm. around you right and yeah. that's because of the presence the presence we can be to others and the presence God promises, that's the promise, promise is that he will be with us. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's where the peace comes from. John, I appreciate it. I want to show people real quick your website. Uh, this is HeymanConsulting.com. If you want John to come speak uh, to your uh, church or consult with your business, uh, he's done a lot of nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you can tell, he is a very inspirational speaker, uh, and he's, you know, He's rooted in the word. He's rooted in the, in the truth and the love of Christ. And I appreciate Amen. that. John, thank you. I, I, I Hopefully, if someone is watching this, by the way, I appreciate all the shares that I see going on and the comments. Very, very kind of you guys. If you know someone that would benefit from maybe being challenged to surrender some of their pain so that they can start down that road of healing, uh, if appropriate, hit that share button. Uh, and, of course, like, follow, subscribe if you want to hear more. But, John, thank you. Um, I appreciate your witness, your words, and your willingness to to open up and talk about some of the pain so that others can experience Mm. healing. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Randy. And, of course, I appreciate all of you guys out there watching. Uh, I do this oftentimes for one person. And if you're that one person today, uh, just know that God's with you. And he can bring you peace. Wouldn't you say with the Lord? And then come back. We've got more, a uh, lot of great topics, good guests coming up. So come back, see us on Life Today Live. Appreciate no you being No longer here. will I rely upon my goodness, upon my personality. But Lord, I just come as a bankrupt sinner, saying, Lord, have mercy on me.